Afternoon. How's everybody doing? Today I will be reading from John 3, starting in verse 22, and that will be where our message will be coming from in God's Word. And so if you want to go ahead and find your place in the Bible, uh, go ahead and take a moment and do that now. And the verses will also be up on the screen uh, for you to follow along. Uh, But before we get started with reading the scripture, uh, I just want to clarify some of the characters in the story because I I think it's important to understand who's who's who in the story. Um, This passage is written in John's Gospel, which is the fourth book of the New Testament of the Bible. And the purpose of the book of John is to persuade people to believe in Jesus. And actually in John 20, verses 30 and 31, it says this exact thing. So I want to read that for us to kind of set the stage uh, here this afternoon. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So let's be clear real quick on who's who in the story. The John that is writing this story The author and the the narrator is John the disciple, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. The John mentioned in this story is John the Baptist. So when you see John in the story, that's John the Baptist. Uh, These are two different Johns. These are not the same guy. And Jesus is also in the story. Um, He's the son of God. He's pretty awesome. Um, Hang in there with me today, and I think you'll agree with me. And so let's go ahead and read John uh, chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. And it says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Eon near Salim because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, For he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Church, thinking about the setting of this story, what a time it must have been to be alive. You have both John the Baptist and Jesus doing ministry in the same area, in the same region. Um, Try to imagine this with me. Um, Think about it this way. Raise your hand if you have ever found yourself in a battleground state during a presidential election. Raise your hand if you've ever ever been in a battleground state. Okay, so we got a few. Um, Try to imagine this. 
I, I've been in a battleground state, um, and I can tell you the energy is electric. Um, I, I actually was in Raleigh, North Carolina in 2016 when Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were holding competing rallies in the same city just hours apart. And the city was in a frenzy because you had two highly influential and powerful people who were there gathering crowds. Now imagine that, but instead of these two rallies pulling people in seemingly opposite directions, they're in fact preaching the same message in the same place. And they're on the same team. And that's exactly what we see taking place here in the Bible. Jesus and John the Baptist are on the same team. <laughs> they're both doing ministry in the same place and their ministries are growing. And up until this point, John the Baptist actually had the larger crowds and the greater influence. But then Jesus comes along. And now his crowds are starting to be bigger. They're starting to become larger. And people are going to hear him and the baptisms are happening with him instead of with John. So we have a scene, John the Baptist, Jesus, they're in the same place, both are baptizing, both have large crowds, and then John gets approached by some of his disciples and they're looking for an explanation or at least a response. It's almost like when a reporter comes up and they have a mic in their hand and they're like, what do you say about all the people that are going to follow Jesus? And John gives a response. And his response is what I want us to focus on today. So I have three main points for you. The first one is this. John knows who he is. John knows who he is. In fact, in verse 27, it says, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So John the Baptist, he actually begins, his disciples come up to him and they say, what are you going to do? Because all the people are going after Jesus. They're all going to follow Jesus. And, you know, surely they're saying like his crowds are bigger. There's, there's people being baptized over there. All this is happening. And John reminds his disciples, he says, guys, he says, that's not like, like, stop. This isn't how things work in God's kingdom. Everything that is given to a person is given to that person by God. Like God gives these things. And so therefore, John recognizes that it's not his place to determine his role in the kingdom. <laughs> it's God who does this. John recognizes this, and then he begins to explain this in clear terms to his disciples. And so you could say, in other words, like, John knows who he is. He knows what his purpose is, and he is, get this word, church, content. He is content. And so one of the questions I have for us is, are we content with how God has orchestrated our lives? Are we content with what God has given us? Or do we sometimes find ourselves, as I sometimes find myself, discontent or frustrated with the plans that God has for, the, for our lives or the way things have worked out? And maybe, maybe you're sitting here today, maybe you're joining online today, and you're saying, hey, I don't even know if I know what my purpose is. And this verse, a verse like this should be a really good reminder to those of us who are uh, what we call paid professional Christians, so, so people who like work for Christian organizations and churches, it should be a good reminder. Or if you're like a key volunteer or leader uh, here at Crossroads, like, like, like maybe this should be a reminder or, or a warning. Um, it's a good reminder because one day our leadership or our ministry influence will likely be eclipsed by somebody else. And that's okay. 
this happened to John the Baptist. Or maybe you're somebody who just oftentimes like has a hard time celebrating the success of other people. Think about this. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's hard for you when somebody else gets the promotion at work that you really thought you should have gotten. Maybe somebody else lands the big account that you've been working on, but at the last moment, a turn of events happens and they, and they, they get the big account. They get the big contract. Maybe somebody closes the big deal. Maybe somebody beat your sales numbers from last year and you thought those numbers were never going to be beat. Maybe somebody is honored publicly in front of others when you feel like you're the one who should have been honored. Maybe somebody that you know that's close to you gets married and you really want to be married. Maybe somebody has a child in the same year that you bury a parent. Maybe somebody has kids that seem better behaved than your own kids seem to be when you're around them. <laughs> Brooklyn, I love you. Maybe somebody's a better athlete than you, and they beat you on the court every time. It's like you show up, you bring your A game, you're ready, and they seem to bring their A-plus game, and they just beat you. What do you do about that? How do you handle that? I want you to remember the words of John, John the Baptist in verse 27. He says, a person can't receive one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. John knew, he knew, he understood that the success that he had, because he had success, he had the crowds, he had the people, he had the baptism numbers. Um, the success that he had was given to him by God. He knew that. He knew who he was. And he also knew that other people's success and successes were given to them by God. That those things did not come from them, they came from God. And so therefore, as Christians, we should celebrate what God gives to other people. We should not be resentful. We should not be jealous. We should not have envy. We should not strive after or, or covet after what somebody else has. Like the Bible's clear on this. As Christians, we should celebrate that God gives different things to different people. And one scholar actually said when I was studying for this, one scholar said, it's actually a sign of true godliness and Christian maturity when we can rejoice. Not just say, oh, yeah, that's okay. Um, but like when we can actually rejoice in the achievements of others. When we can, when we can celebrate and be excited and like jacked up that like God did something awesome or gave somebody else some level of success. And so John's philosophy of life was grounded in a contentment like that. Like he was grounded in that. He was content with what God had given him. And in other words, as I said before, he knows who he is. <laughs> he says, hey, I know this is what God has given me. I know, I know this, is, this is the season that, that he's given me. And actually in verse 28, he says this. He reminds his disciples, because remember, this is a conversation. They're like, hey, we want a response from you, John. What's going on? Um, and he says, you guys yourselves bear me witness. So he's basically asking them to remember. He's like, remember, I said, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him, like before Jesus. You see, John had no need to compete with Jesus. That wasn't his agenda because he knew who he was. And he knew that his role was to go before Jesus and begin to preach a gospel message, a message of repentance to prepare people for the coming of Christ. He knew that was his role. And, and now that Christ had come, John knew that his being sent before him, like, like the phrase that John used, being sent before him, he knew that that season was almost over. He knew, he knew that the time had come. Which leads me to the second thing I want you to remember today. It's that John knows who Jesus is. So John knows who he is, and he also knows who Jesus is. 
So you see, Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. John rightly identifies Jesus in this way and then goes on further to explain. And I'm just going to read some of the scripture that's here. Uh, John says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Um, I think we all understand that. If you've ever seen a wedding or been to a wedding, I think you understand. Like the, like the, the one that's standing up there um, like with, with the bride, like that's the bridegroom. That's the groom, right? Jesus is the bridegroom. All who believe in Jesus are his bride. And John recognizes that it's not his place to step in to be the bridegroom. I mean, have you ever seen a wedding? Like, imagine this. Like, have you ever seen a wedding where, like, the best man's standing there and the bridegroom's standing there, and the best man says, you know what, I think I'm going to step in and just take his place. Doesn't work that way, does it? All right? That doesn't end well. <laughs> um, that might be a wedding you never forget. Jesus is the bridegroom. And then John also says, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, who kind of stands by, he rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. And he says, therefore, my joy is now complete. You see, John, because he knows who Jesus is, he gets joy from pointing people to Jesus. That's what brings him joy. He gets joy from seeing Jesus' following increase. So when his disciples come, like, I, I mean, like, I, I give them some credit because they're, they're like, they're ride or die for John the Baptist, right? Like, like, they come running to him and they're like, they're like, his crowds are getting bigger than yours. What are we going to do about this? Like, like, this is something we have to figure out. Like, everyone seems to be following after him now. Like, I give them some credit for that because, like, they're loyal. They're sticking with him. But he says, he says, no, 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 no. Like, I'm a friend of Jesus. And my friend Jesus, like, he is giving eternal life to people who believe in him. <laughs> that's, what, that's what he came to do. He came to give people life. And his joy is complete because when he sees Jesus and he hears Jesus' voice and he sees Jesus' ministry taking off, his heart is like flooded with joy, flooded with joy. And church, in the same way, our hearts can be flooded with joy for Jesus. Our joy can be complete in Jesus because as members of the church, we actually get it all. We get to see what Jesus has done in other people's lives, but we are the bride of Christ. We realize what he's done for us too. And, and, and that should bring us joy. And so as Christians, like when we look at Jesus, our joy should just overflow because we see the King, we see the Messiah, we see the Savior, we see the Lord, and we see our rescuer. When we see Jesus, we see the one who saves us, redeems us, the one who gives our lives purpose. And one of those purposes, church, one of those purposes, Christian, is that just like John the Baptist, we are to point other people to Jesus. That is what we are to do. And all of this leads John the Baptist to say something, and, and, and I really want this to stick with us today um, beyond the time that we're here. He gives a summary statement. John the Baptist gives a summary statement of his relationship with Jesus. And I think this should be the statement for all of us as well to characterize our own relationship with Jesus. And this is my third main point. John the Baptist says, he must increase, but I must decrease. So let that sink in for a second. Jesus, kids, word of the day, Jesus must increase and we must decrease. You see, John the Baptist, he accepted and affirmed God's plan for his life. God showed him the plan for his life, and John said, I'm in. He received the plan with joy, and he declared it to be God's plan that Jesus must come and that Jesus must increase. 
And church, this should be the same posture that we have in our lives as we live, as we live our daily lives. But this is how we should view ourselves in relationship with Jesus in, in light of who Jesus is. Jesus is the Lord, we are not. Jesus calls the shots, we don't. Jesus is the boss, not us. Our lives should be like a reflection in a mirror where Jesus' image actually is bigger than ours and far outsizes ours. Okay, quick question. Has anybody seen the ads for, I don't know what the full name is, but I call it the workout mirror. Has anybody seen ads for the workout mirror? Okay, I see a bunch of head nods. So, so, so the workout mirror. It's a mirror you hang on the wall, you put it on a wall in your apartment, and it actually has a fitness trainer, like a professional fitness trainer that, that, come, that appears on the screen, kind of like a hologram, um, and guides you through a workout. That's what the mirror does. You hang it on the wall, um, the thing pops up, and there's somebody there, and they're like, okay, let's go, welcome to the mirror, here we go. Um, so back in January of 2020, we actually bought one of these. I know, you, you can tell, right? Yeah. Um, we bought one of these. And when you're working out, you see the instructor on the screen, and you see your reflection because it's a mirror. <laughs> and usually your reflection is much larger than the fitness instructor's uh, reflection. <laughs> and it's really interesting, like imagine that that was reversed. Imagine that you had a mirror, and when you look in the mirror, you see kind of off down to the side, like the fitness instructor, you see a small reflection of yourself kind of down in the corner, but Jesus Christ fills the frame. Jesus Christ fills up the mirror. In church, this is what our lives should look like as we grow in our walk with Jesus. Our reflection should shrink, it should decrease, and Jesus's reflection should increase. So I told you to pay attention to the characters in the story. We had John the Baptist, which is the John we've been talking about. Um, then we had John the disciple, and then we had Jesus. So John the disciple now takes over speaking. He's, he's writing the book, he takes over. And this passage actually ends with a really, like kind of brief, just a few verses, but rich uh, theology lesson by, by the author, by John the disciple. First in verse 31, John the disciple, he builds on the statement of he must increase, but I must decrease. So John the Baptist says, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. And John the disciple follows that up in the next verse. He says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. And he who comes from heaven is above all. Church, what he's saying is that Jesus Christ is above all. His words matter. Jesus' words matter because he speaks a heavenly word, not simply the words of man. Um, John recognizes this, and he wants us to understand this too. That's why he wrote it down in, in what sounds almost like repetitive language, like he's writing it down so we get it. Um, in verses 32 and 33, he goes on, and he says, He bears witness to what he's seen and what he's heard, yet no one receives his testimony. But whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. And so what he's saying there, he's saying, Although many people will reject Jesus, those who believe in him and those who have received his testimony are in fact affirming that God's true. And then in verse 34, 35, he says, for he whom God has sent, who has God sent? Kids? Jesus, all right, we got a couple in the back. He sent Jesus. For, whom, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. 
The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Jesus is speaking the words of God because he is the Word. Jesus has the Spirit in full measure and in full power. Jesus is the Son of God, and God the Father trusts him fully to accomplish all his purposes. John the Baptist knows who he is. John the Baptist also knows who Jesus is. And when he, when he knows who he is and he knows who Jesus is, he says, he says, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. In church, that's what we should say too when we look at our lives. Jesus must increase, but we must decrease. And at the end of the chapter, in verse 36, John the disciple leaves the readers with a decision. He says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And the same choice that John the disciple lays out is the same choice I want to lay before you today, whether you're here in person or you're watching online. Belief in Christ leads to eternal life. Rejecting Christ leads to God's wrath coming down on you because of your sin. This is what the Bible teaches us. This was true in John's day, and it's true in our day too. And the good news is, the good news that everybody needs to hear is that Jesus Christ is the giver of eternal life. He's the only name we can trust in for salvation from our sins. He stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. He bears the gift of eternal life in his hands and he asks to enter. All you have to do is something that, it's a church word, it, it, it's, it's repent. Repent. And repent means turn away. Simply turn. Turn away from your sin and turn towards Jesus, believing that he's paid the penalty for your sins. In church, the joy of our slate being wiped clean by the blood of Jesus is the same measure of joy that John the Baptist was talking about when he said that his joy was made complete when he sees all the people coming to Jesus. And so church, we're going to have a time of response now as part of our service. And there's a couple different ways that you can respond to what we've heard today. The first is repent and believe. Um, that's something that, that you can do right where you are, or if you're, if you're watching at home with us, you, you can stay right where you are and do that. Repent and believe. You can remain seated. You can pray to God. You can repent of your sins if you've never done this. Repent of your sins. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and to bring you into new life in Jesus. And if that's a step that you're considering taking today, um, I would encourage you, like, like come, come speak to me. Come speak to Pastor Will. Come speak to one of our deacons after the service. We'd love to talk with you about that. Also, there's communion. When you came in today, you would have received one of these. If you're here in person, you came in. It's a prepackaged communion cup. It has uh, the, the bread and the juice in it here. And Jesus told us, he said, any time that we take of the bread and the cup, which represents his broken body and his shed blood, any time that we do that, that we should do it to remember who he is and what he's done for us. And that's, that's a way you can respond um, in worship today. You can take that in your seats. Um, if you're at home, now's a great time to go and uh, run to your pantry and your fridge um, to, to, to get uh, bread and, and juice for communion if, you, if you'd like to respond in that way. Uh, there's also worship through singing. We're commanded in Scripture to sing praises to the Lord as an act of worship. Um, and so in just a minute, our, our, band, our worship team, our band's going to begin playing, and you can stand and worship in song. And so I just want to leave you with a moment to, to take a moment to respond to God's word, to what you've heard today, 
to the message you've heard today in whatever way that you feel like you need to respond. And our band will begin to lead us um, in a few moments. Thanks.